prime example of privilege is the fact that some people have the privilege of being able to disengage like we don't have that it's like okay i'm sick of hearing about this but it's it's run it hits different for us being 18 having a ged and going through a what an eight-week course and now you're qualified to walk the streets and protect the people and protect peace i think not if i'm a young black man six six and you can see my hands, or if I'm selling loose cigarettes, how am I a threat? But you have Dylan Ruth, who went into a black church and killed nine people, and they took him out with a bulletproof vest, and they yeah. took him to get McDonald's. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Moderate Millennials. It's Michael and Jonathan here. This week is a little bit different. Jonathan and I had a topic picked out. We were going to discuss Twitter and YouTube and private companies versus free speech. However, we decided to change the topic of the week because of a very serious event that happened this week. Um, as many of you have known uh, or probably have heard, George Floyd, uh, his life, he was killed this week on Monday. And it's been a topic, a national topic on the internet um, to everybody. And we wanted to discuss it here on Moderate Millennials. We do have our first guests since the reboot of the show. And so, Jonathan, if you would introduce our guests for us. Hello, everyone. Today, we have two very close friends of mine, friends that I've known for years. My friends are Amanda and Topaz. Say hello, Amanda and Topaz. Hello. Hello. Excellent. And I brought them on because these two women are very educated in the topic that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about police brutality. We're going to talk about social injustice. We're going to talk about a lot of different perspectives. And these women have a lot to say on the matter and have a lot of education. And so it's better that, or it's, I thought that it would be very beneficial to get them on the episode so that we could discuss, so that we could bring light to people who may not have this light in their life, people who may not be aware of this that's going on, and maybe that they're aware of this specific incident or a specific incident in the past. But what we want to do here today is we want to educate everyone on the history of why this is happening, examples of how this is happening, and what we can do as people, as a society, as a civilization, to prevent this from continuing to happen. And so with all of that being said, I'm going to hand this over to Amanda and Topaz, who are just going to start a conversation, and we're going to go from there. So I guess it all starts with systematic racism and institutional racism. Um, so thinking back to how white superiority um, is captured in everyday thinking and the laws that we have, the policies we have, um, hiring processes, education, healthcare, social systems, um, and even with the anti-discrimination laws and everything that is progressive going on today, um, racism keeps happening. And just because it's more taboo um, to be racist, like, I feel like people just need to um, think about the fact that they're benefiting from a system um, and that I things are happening every day. I think I just want to, when you were speaking, I thought to myself that kind of the meme that's going around, or maybe not a meme, maybe it's just a status that I'm seeing on a lo lot of social media posts, 
where we're talking about it being taboo to be racist. And the, the thing that I'm thinking of is so the, the, there are statuses that are saying, you know, if you're upset about the rioting and not upset about the murder, then we see you. Then we see you and we see where your thoughts lie and where your priorities are, as opposed to a product in a store. That's what you're concerned about, as opposed to a person's life that was just lost and how a family and a society is affected. So I just thought that that would be interesting on your topic. Yeah, I just feel like at this point, if you're not sympathetic towards what's happening right now, then like you're part of the, the problem. Absolutely. Um, um, so I figured, you know, you talk about kind of where policing came from, at least from the African-American perspective. You know, there were private citizens, slave owners who would be the slave patrol and would go out and catch slaves and return them. And they used to wear a five point badge that said slave catcher. And that's kind of what transitioned into the policing of people that that became the police department. And, you know, it went from slavery to, you know, emancipation being free to Jim Crow, where you couldn't do certain things. You couldn't be in certain areas, segregation pretty much. Um, and like indent, like the indentured servitude that was going on afterwards, where you yeah. gave them a, a plot of land, but you had to work it off. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> that's kind of where it comes from, you know, policing of black bodies and um, keeping them kind of in a position to not move forward in society after being freed. Um, like, for example, Emmett Till, he supposedly whistled at a white woman and he lost his life for it. That white woman is still alive and she's recently come out saying that that never happened. And I'm just wondering, you know, there's not a statute of limitation for murder and she pretty much got this little boy killed. Um, I don't know if you want to. Um, I guess my issues with policing are more towards you know, the here and now, and it's police are, it's militarization. There's a lack of transparency. There is um, just no accountability. Um, and there's low incentives. Like you, like we talked about earlier, like these police are fresh out of high school or with their GED and they don't have proper education. They don't understand other cultures other than their own. And then they're in charge of upholding a system that was already designed um, to oppress people of color. So I actually, I actually got some numbers here. If we can talk about them for a second, as far mm -hmm. as policing goes. So one thing that I thought was important, you know, I just looked it up online, a quick search, and this is from ZipRecruiter. And it says, so I pulled up Indiana and I pulled up Minnesota uh, just so we could reference our own and then reference where this, uh, most recent incident has happened. The average police salary in Indiana is $45,000, right? The average police salary in Minnesota is $46,000. And you got to think, if you were an ambitious, motivated, and educated person, do you want to put your life on the line for $46,000 a year? No. Nah. <laughs> I 
was in the military and did so for a lot less, but received a lot more benefits and recognition. For example, getting to travel, getting to live in a nice place like Seattle, San Diego, so on. So there were benefits um, outside of the financial gains. Here in a patrol squad, you're, and that's the, now keep in mind, that's the average salary. That's not your starting salary, which I wish I would have looked up. But in a lot of I, states, I'd be curious what the median salary is because the average can be skewed by the outlier of like a, like a, a chief making like you know eighty thousand, mm-hmm. ninety thousand. The yep. median might be lower, like thirty five thousand a year. So the majority of the police officers could be making much lower than forty five thousand. the the average The average cost of living in Indiana is, I think, to to live comfortably, you're it's around fifty thousand dollars, right? So you're not even really making enough to live comfortably in, in the state in which we dwell. And in Minnesota, you're making a thousand dollars more annually based on the number that I pulled from ZipRecruiter. And you're still not living to the point where you can, I guess what I'm trying to say in less words is if you're educated and you are ambitious, why would you settle for that, that, that number, right? Is it because you're, you feel some sense of duty or maybe you feel trapped and that's all you have? Because if that's the case, then there needs to be a lot better testing. And speaking of testing, in Indiana, you're not even required to sub- or go through a lot of psychological testing to become a police officer. So we're talking about being 18, having a GED, and going through a, what, an eight-week course, and now you're qualified yep. to walk the streets and protect the people and protect peace? I think not. Right. I think not. I, Minnesota, I, also, they have, a more, they have a little bit more rigorous testing. They have an actual organization that handles the police processing, as opposed to Indiana, each county does it. So they have a little bit more, but still, you're not giving enough incentive for people who are qualified to keep peace and qualified and maybe able to make a better decision in that, that heat of the moment, right? Because that's what we're dealing with here is, is people who can't make the proper decision in the moment because of either maybe a lack of training, a lack of experience, a lack of maturity. Yeah, exactly. Be, so yeah. another problem that arises, what you're saying, Jonathan, is when we when we pay so little, we make this field, this police field, undesirable. Nobody wants to be a police officer. And whenever you do that, the dangers of that is the people that should be policing or should be on the police force don't want to be. So they exactly. won't be. And what that leaves is this uh, this population of police or people who go into the police force who, one, have no other choice, and they really don't want to be there, so they're not going to do their full duty. Or two, and I've, I've heard about this quite often, they're, they're very aggressive and they want to go into the police force. And this is a small population of the police, but they're, they're, they, they're very aggressive and they're the type of personalities, the type of psychology that you don't want to have a badge you don't want to have a gun because they're going to have a bad day and somebody's going to pay for it so and there's not enough testing to see who those people are the training programs that they have to go through are not rigorous enough they're not putting them in those situations often enough to gain the intelligence to handle themselves appropriately and 
that is some that's something that I feel strongly about is that it, the incentive isn't there, and so the people who are there may not be the best people to be there. If that's said, you know, I'm in so many words. I think that makes sense. Absolutely. But I also think that once you take this oath to protect and do no harm, that needs to include everybody. Like, you can't say, I swear to protect only people who look like me or only people who I don't find that looks like a threat, because I think that's the disconnect now between the African American community and the police. So we don't feel protected. We don't feel safe. Like, if you think about a time that your last experience with a police officer, if you were pulled over, were you afraid for your life? Were you like, oh, oh shit, I don't, excuse my language. I don't know what type of day this guy is having. So let me put my hands on the roof and not make a move until he comes up here. And let, let me walk him through the next 10 steps. I'm going to reach exactly. for my license and registration. Is that okay? Um, so, I mean, that's something to think about too, because I'm sure like in any situation, like if a police officer hassled either one of you guys, you wouldn't be afraid for your lives. So I just think it doesn't matter what the police officer looks like, honestly. So, I mean, I think if you're going to do this job and if you're going to do this role, do it for the entire community, get to know your community, get to, instead of policing and arresting people and hassling people get out on the street meet your community talk to the kids who are playing basketball talk to the kids who are walking home from school get to know the people that you're serving so you don't see us as a threat exactly there's a have has it have any of you ever watched the wire no so i'm going through the wire right now because what else are you supposed to do in quarantine and one of the recent episodes that I've watched is where they are, if anybody is listening to this and they watch The Wire, you know the whole show is about chasing bad guys. But one moment in particular that stood out to, stands out to me after hearing what you said, Topaz, is an episode where there is a detective and his sole responsibility is to have a relationship with the community so that when the higher ups come and say, Who's pushing this product? Who's, you know, who's the head of the streets right now? Like when they need information, they can come to him. That's his role. And in one of the episodes, somebody came to him and he said, I don't know. All I'm doing is making drug bust out here. I'm busting heads. I'm taking names. I'm making arrests. And the, the officer of higher authority set him down and said, hey, maybe this isn't for you because your role isn't to take names, bust heads, get arrested. It's to have a relationship with the people of the community because when something's going wrong, if you don't have a relationship with people, then nobody's going to talk to you. And so you'll never have an insight, right? And so as the series progressed, you saw him making more of a relationship with people. And that, that just really stood out to me after what you're saying, because that's something I've watched in the last few days. And it, it is relevant as a, as a peacekeeper of a society, you know, and then also within these small towns and big cities, you where you know, where, where I'm from, I knew all the police officers by name because it's a small town, right? They knew me as well, 
but that should be how it is in places. Like if you're a police officer and you're and you're and you look over a certain part of the community, that community should know who you are. You should have a relationship with those people so that when something goes wrong, your first reaction isn't violence. Your first reaction is, I know these people. I'm not scared of these people. These people aren't scared of me. And I can walk up, not have to have my hand on my weapon, not have to have my hand on handcuffs, not to have to just can walk up and have a casual conversation. That is something that's not talked about enough is how a lot of the police are not in the community doing that. They're just taking names, cracking heads, you know. I, I... I think the community and engaging in the community would help, but I think we need to address another problem that's unique to the American police force. As a police officer in America, they there is a unique culture. I don't know if it's the American attitude. I don't know if it's because we have so many firearms and we have the Second Amendment, but like if you go over, if I don't know if you guys have ever traveled to Europe or been to another country besides America, but if you've ever encountered the police, and it, well, Jonathan, you have <laughs> in the military, but the uh, the the environment, the persona that the police give you in in Europe is completely different than the Amer- an average American police officer, and I think part of that is just because. This culture, this American culture that we we created, it it probably is more dangerous to be a police officer in America than it is to be in Britain or in Germany or in France. And and part of that, I mean, if we're going to, I mean, obviously this is a huge issue that's not going to be solved in an hour podcast. But I think we need to, as Americans, we need to start having a discussion about guns in this country and what that means to our police force and what that means to everybody because that does enter into the equation of why are our police officers the way they are well this is a unique american police force problem and when so I, when i was in the military and we went over to israel and i got to visit jerusalem and this is the only specific example i can remember of that but walking through jerusalem actually let me backtrack a little bit so in israel you have to serve it's either 18 months, two years in the military after after you are 18, right? That's just mandatory. A lot of European countries are like that. A lot of Middle Eastern countries are like that. And they are walking through the streets of this city, right? And they are strapped with ARs. They're strapped with a belt that has their ammo on it. The, the, the weapons are not ready to fire. They don't have the clip in them. There's not one chambered. But the society as a whole is so comfortable around them with that uh, it appeared at least you know i don't speak the language so i'm not sure what's really going on in, the, in the, the local culture but it was a part of that culture where it was normal for them to walk around obviously there are threats you know from jordan and you know other places especially at the time when i was there in 2013 but it's it it, it is kind of what you said like Guns do need to be, weapons do need to be talked about more. They need to be made. There needs to be more safety involved in them. There's, that's definitely sure. I, I, I am a supporter of the Second Amendment myself. And we, that's, you know, that we, we could go into whole different discussions, you know, along those lines. But it is something that weapons are almost a taboo now. And it's almost like if you get pulled over 
and you're a, a concealed carry allowed to have your weapon. For me, this goes back to what Amanda and Topaz were saying. Topaz, I think you specifically said it. I am not afraid to tell a police officer, hey, I have, uh, I have a Glock in here. I have my Smith & Weston in here, uh, so on and so forth. For someone of color, you're not legally – you don't have to tell the officer initially that you have a weapon unless they ask, right? I, I would rather just tell them, but I could definitely see, you know, someone who would be afraid for their lives, like, you know, hands on the, the roof, hands on the steering wheel, and well, saying, hey, officer. Have to, yeah. You have to think about, what was it, Castile? Yeah. He, you know, let the police know, I have a gun in my glove box, I'm a registered carrier, and mm -hmm. they shot him to death on Facebook Live yeah. in front of his girlfriend and daughter. And it's like, right. okay, he was completely honest about mm -hmm. this weapon that he had every right to be carrying. Um, and instead of, I, I've seen the video a hundred times, it's extremely traumatic and he did everything he was supposed to do. And then it just goes back to people making up excuses for that behavior. Like, mm. oh, well he had a rap sheet, the X, Y, and Z, when in reality he was like, he worked in a school in a cafeteria and everyone loved him. And he was completely transparent about the location of his weapon, what it was. And I believe he was reaching for a phone. His girlfriend was reporting on Facebook Live because it was a completely inappropriate- I think it was his wallet. He was reaching for his wall yes um pocket. and i just feel like that goes back to the fact that our entire country's system was based on it goes back to the systematic you know racism it was all based on things to oppress us so how can we um as people of color trust that policies and law enforcement and everybody else is supposed to be looking out for us and taking care of us when in reality we've y'all have been programmed to like fear black skin and black culture and black people. Um, and that goes all the way back to 400 years ago of history of segregation and everything else that's been created to kind of keep people separate. So it's, I guess that's where I struggle is how are we supposed to trust police to take care of us? I think I struggle with the fact that, you know, if, it's it's okay to to have weapons and to protect yourself if you're not brown um that you know i've seen i want to say the nra you know stand behind white folks in certain certain situations with you know handguns and weapons and when it comes to black people it's a different conversation yeah. um i feel the need to protect myself i would like to you know carry weapons because I think at this point in America, I wouldn't put anything past any police officer. I feel like how are you supposed to? How are you supposed to trust a police officer with everything that's that's going on? I completely understand your perspective. It's like a new video every day. Like it's all the time. It's it, it's so a good day, you know, for me on social media is me not logging on and having to watch a Facebook live video of someone that looks like me shot right. to death. And you know, comment in, inappropriate comments like, "Oh, it's going to have to be a closed casket." Like that was somebody. That, that was in the Indianapolis yeah. one. Or he, he was on Facebook Live. He he was a veteran. He had a weapon that was registered to him. The police followed him and accused him of driving erratically. Pulled him over, um, and he turned on Facebook Live and was like, "Yo, somebody come pick me up." The police officer, I guess, just didn't know it was recording. Um, they shot him 16 times. 
Um, and the phone was still recording Facebook in the Live. Back and the too, officer, right? He was running away. They shot him in the back, right? Yeah. And the officer joked about how he needed a closed casket. Um, and I do believe that officer was also black. So it's like that was another argument that I feel like a lot of people had. Well, police can't be racist because he was black, but it's like this is you know, it's an old boys club regardless. Um, and I feel like the officer that then later tried to cover it up, it was a whole thing here in Indianapolis that resulted in a lot of unrest because he was one of the three that were killed in like eight hours. And I, it also reminds me of the girl, Brianna, who was killed in her house. Like police broke into her house. Yeah, they went like, to the wrong house, shot all these rounds, like actually through the apartment her boyfriend woke up and fired back because he thought he was being robbed. They were in plain clothes, didn't announce themselves. And she died and she was an EMT. Like they had the wrong house, but- And the person that they were going to arrest had already been picked up earlier that day. So she was literally killed by police for absolutely no reason. And she was pretty much one of them. She was a public servant too. How are those cases being handled right now? Is there an investigation going on? There's only been a response because of the outrage. I think it goes back Mm to the the young man who was hunted down as he was jogging. That video was shot in February. And it took until... It took months. And it only took... They didn't get mad when they saw the video. They got mad that we saw the video. Yeah. And that there was, you know all of these people who were like, someone needs to look into this because they've been getting away with it for months now. So I feel like it all goes back to that. I feel like even in Indianapolis, they haven't done a very good job of, you know, it's just, well, we want these people to stop protesting. I haven't even heard anything about the uh, the The three people that, that you were talking about that got murdered in the eight hours. I haven't seen anything on any type of news outlet or social media since it happened. Exactly. And that, and, and that actually, and I, I'm not condoning this, but I'm saying that's the trend, right? As you see it, it's it's uh it's an it's 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 very raw and real for moments, and then it kind of you don't see it anymore, and then boom, something else happens, and it's just yeah. this repetitive, it's this repetitive it's process. Week. It yeah. doesn't, but I, I want us to realize that it doesn't trickle down for us, like. Mm-hmm. Whereas you see something, you're shocked. You're like, what, what is this? How could this happen? Like, this is America. He's an American citizen. Why would the police do something like that when Black folks have been conditioned and taught how to code switch, how to talk Black and then how to talk White, how to speak and interact with police officers and people in authority? Because it feels like our lives don't matter as much as yours. Because if I was shot and killed, you would be outraged, but mm-hmm. you know that wouldn't change policies. That wouldn't protect the next black person from being. There's I feel a... Like a prime example of privilege is the fact that some people have the privilege of being able to disengage. Like we right. don't have that. It's like okay, I'm sick of hearing about this, but it's it's run. It hits different for us. Like I'm about to marry a black man. Like I get concerned when he goes out. I get concerned when he does things. I get concerned for my friends or like when I decide to have children. How I'm instead of you know giving the birds and the bees. It's like okay, let's talk about how you'll act if you get stopped or how you'll interact with a police officer or toys that you can play with. Yes, that. Um, there, 
there's a show on Netflix as well. I just, I, the stuff you're saying just reminds me of things I've seen the all American on Netflix, like episode three or four. And there's a scene where a black man and a white man, or they're teenagers, right? They're like 16. They're driving down this street. Uh, the black man is from, he's from like somewhere in, uh, I think from like Compton, LA. And he goes and plays football at a more prestigious school in like Malibu. Right. And he's living with this family. I may have the locations wrong, but the story is is the same. And and so all that being said, they the the black kid and the white kid, they go to I'm sorry, two black kids. They go to Compton. They come back on the way back to Malibu from Compton. They get pulled over by two white police officers and the, the kid from Compton immediately hands on the dash. He's like, walk, like you were saying, Topaz, walking the police office through each step that he is doing. And then the kid who's driving, who's from Malibu, also black, but has not had the same experiences, is mouthing off to the police and he's resisting. And so he gets yanked out. There's a whole scene. They end up letting him go. And then they go home to the, to the home in Malibu. And the kid from Compton literally starts yelling at the father of the kid from Malibu and says, why would you never teach him this? You almost got your son killed. This is your fault. This is your responsibility to make sure that he knows how to engage with the police officers in safe manner. Shouldn't have to. Not saying that that's okay, but we're saying that's the reality is that you should have done something. You should have taught him this. And then the dad responds like, I just didn't think he was going to have to experience that. You know, I thought there would be more time, so on and so forth. But it's a perfect example of what you're saying is that you're ha- you want to have children. And instead of talking about sex, you're talking about how to handle, how to, how to at, at like 10 years old, maybe even sooner, you're talking about how to stay alive yeah. from a police officer who's literally their job is to protect everyone and now the case it's so real and evident that that's not the case and you have to have that conversation with your child is it is it's definitely something that i as we talk about it hit it you know it hits at home more obviously you two are you know i are very close and you know we talk constantly and i see this stuff going on as well but hearing you girls talk about this stuff it makes it obviously it's real but it makes it even more real and I hope that everyone that's listening right now is experiencing this as well, where you see two women here. This isn't the media. This isn't a news outlet. This is two women who are talking about this issue and their experience and how it's affecting them, how the your relationships, you have to worry about your husband going out, your boyfriend, you know, your, your child. It's, I'm going to let you keep talking because I could go on forever, but it's, it, it definitely hits home and, it, and it's, yeah, it just hits home to, for me as well. One thing, the, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of bring up and then I'll let you guys uh, comment on it is I, there are probably people listening to this, watching this, probably people in the comments who are about to comment this, that, that they're going to say, well, yeah, like, okay. So three or four uh, black people got shot by the police. But, you know, there is double the amount of white people to get shot by police. So white people get shot by police and black people get shot by police. But one thing that people might not be realizing and that I've, you know, in the last five, six years, like how long is the Black Lives? I think that's how long the Black Lives yeah. Matter movement has been going. 
I've actually reflected on this and I, and I, and I started to realize that it's not necessarily that white people and black people are both shot by police, which by the way is all police brutality on uh, lawful shootings are bad. I think we're, we would all agree with that. But the thing that people don't notice or don't really think about or don't consider is that that young black man that was on Facebook live that you guys brought up, he was running, he was fleeing from the police and he got shot. How many times was it? Eight times in the back on live on Facebook live. I, if you're going to tell me that if you were white and you did the same exact thing that you'd get gunned down shot in the back and you were white fleeing from the police on live video. Now, whether or not they knew he was on live video, it doesn't really matter. But I, I don't really believe, I don't believe it. Like I, I, I know that white people are shot by the police, and I'm sure that they, in many cases, what they do, the police does feel like they're in danger, and they do feel like they have to lawfully shoot them. But that advantage, and this is where we get into white privilege, of that natural, when you're a police officer, you're already at a heightened sense of uh, reflexes. You're already feeling or having to assume that you are possibly in danger at every possible moment when you have that blue uniform on. And what people don't realize is when, when police officers are going through their daily lives and they have that heightened sense of, of alertness, they have an untrained, or what's the word I'm looking for? They have this, this fear, this heightened fear from black males that they don't have with white males. And I've actually seen this, and I've, I've heard this, where they, the police officer says they felt threatened and the black male was not doing anything threatening, but just the fact that they were larger than the police officer and they were black and male, that they, they didn't know where that fear came from. And I think that's what white privilege, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what white privilege or the topic of white privilege tries to address that doesn't really give pe white people an advantage. You just have a disadvantage if you don't have it or you don't understand what it's like when you don't have it. So, and again, I kind of said a bunch of stuff there. So I want to say to all the people that say, well, there are more white people statistically that are shot by police than black people. That is correct. And proportionately- I feel like with that, you have to think about the fact that white people there's six times more white yes. people in the United States than there are African-Americans. So, but African-Americans are getting shot and killed by police. They're twice as likely um, to have that happen to them. So at the end of the day, police brutality is a big umbrella encompassing a lot of things. But when you break it down, like it's impacting everyone. But at the end of the day, it's disproportionately affecting people of color primarily African-Americans. And I have to bring this up because this is going to be, somebody's going to bring this up. What would you say to the counterpoint of that, that, that uh, black males commit 50% of the homicide? Have you, I I'm sure you've that, heard of that statistic. My, my response to that is that we know that black folks commit crime. There's, we're not getting around that. Probably the same as not as white people. I think the issue is, is that, for the same crimes, we're not seeing equal justice. Like I'm not sure. getting to go before the judge and plead my case because I'm dead. Or, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just disproportionate. Like for, if I'm caught with, you know, a bag of weed, I might spend 15 more years in jail than a white girl who has Coke, meth, all this other stuff. So I don't think 
Black people are asking too much to not be, you know, racially profiled when you should be protecting me. Like if I'm a young Black woman and you see my hands, how am I a threat? If I'm a young Black man, 6'6", and you can see my hands, or if I'm selling loose cigarettes, how am I a threat? But you have Dylan Roof, who went into a Black church and killed nine people, and they took him out with a bulletproof vest, and they took him to get McDonald's, but Sandra Sandra Bland died in police custody. Like, it's not the fact that white folks aren't affected by police brutality, because they are. I just think that the way that we interact with the police is not level. I, I agree with like that, that. Totally different conversations to be had. Like we're talking about police killing black people at a disproportionate rate. I feel like black on black crime is an entirely different conversation um, that, you know, black communities are talking about already. And I feel like one thing that people forget to add to that argument is Black people are killing Black people because that's who we're around. Like, we're yeah. condensed in cities. We're living point. in neighborhoods that were literally created for us. I don't know where you're from, but, for example, in Indianapolis, um, they're doing this urban renewal and, you know, refurbishing, like, the Near East Side and all of these pockets of the city that are where poor, low socioeconomic status african americans and people of color have lived for a long time but now that the city's expanding um they're pushing them out they're they're gentrifying the neighborhoods um and kind of getting rid of the people and getting rid of the resources that were there and pushing them into smaller and smaller areas so yeah that that is where the crime is at because we're with one another um and it's also shown i can't pull the statistic or whatever um source off the top of my head but you you hurt you crimes are committed against people who look like you like white people are typically committing crimes against other white people same with every other race you know so it's like you bring up black on black crime what about white on white crime i don't think that you can bring up criminal activity in a small neighborhood well, I think another thing that's overlooked is black and black crime, the 50% homicide rate, uh, poverty. Let's talk about the, yes. the poverty. Why is it that the majority of the black population is below the poverty line? Nobody I, wants to talk about that system or why that is. I want to, I want to say something real quick, everyone. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I don't think it, it matters who's like what statistics of crime is because when you come into an interaction with a police officer regardless of the color that police officer isn't going to know off the bat unless they know you personally what kind of crimes you commit right so there's so there's an expectation of an interaction with the police officer where you're expecting to have a due process right and you're expecting to not get killed for your hands not being seen or because you're not exactly doing everything they say, because you may not be aware of what they need or exactly what they want, right? So, and then emotions get flared and then the wrong thing happens. So I feel a little emotional about this, but I think that it's important to, to really push the point that, you know, you're, we're talking about black on black crime, white on, you know, white on white crime, who we're around is who we commit the crimes around, but regardless of who we're around and where we're from, the police aren't supposed to come in with this prejudiced attitude sure. against a certain, a certain 
color group or a certain set of people, they're supposed to come in and say, we're conducting an investigation now. Sure. I conduct, part of my job is, is investigating. And I have to speak with the person who is on this side. And I have to speak with the person on that side. Yeah. And I can't approach. And I know a lot about these people before I speak with them, right? So it would be very fair of me to assume things before I actually talk with them. But I can't do that if I want to effectively do my job. And I'm going to be honest and say that I have done that, right? I have. Because who doesn't? We're human. And then I speak with that person. And through my conversation, I find that my assumptions are completely wrong, right? And if I would have approached that with a negative mindset or maybe an aggressive or direct mindset, because for you, you guys know me, I can be direct. I can be aggressive. I, like I'm outspoken. Which is kind of what I've been. We know right now. we know where we stand with you, Jonathan. You'll yeah. tell us how it is. We know that. I do feel like all of that yeah. kind of ties back in full circle of systematic and institutional yep. racism because it's yep. these preconceived notions that mm-hmm. kind of are captured in our everyday thinking. Yeah. Um, so maybe cool. for those listening who aren't familiar with systematic racism, let's talk about the poverty. Let's talk about why is it that. African American males will most likely go into gangs, or why they they seek. Um, why why is that? Why is that how it's been for the last ten years, twenty years? What what created that? As we really go into the deep history of the systematic oppression, it's kind of kind of, kind of what I wanted to get into because because sure. I think so that would be a good point. If we, goes, if we start at the base root, let's go to educational resources like. If you look at certain schools in rural communities, they're not given the same resources as ones in like, say like Carmel. So I think that's a part of it. Job opportunities. Like if you see my name on a resume, you may not hire me because you think that I might be ghetto. And there was a study in 2016. Let me go back to that, that found that candidates were more likely to get interviews and pulled for jobs if they whitened up their name. Um, And that went for mostly African-Americans and people of Asian descent. So I just feel like that's a prime example. And then it's like banks not giving loans, like house loans. Like if I go to the bank looking for a loan, I could have the same exact credit, same exact assets, no liabilities as a single white female and because they have this idea that I'm going to take this money and run, I'm not going to get a loan for a house. So then I have to look into like low income housing or areas that rent I can afford. And then, you know, healthcare, like the, the rate in which black women die giving birth is so much higher than anybody else because we're not believed when we, when we talk about we're in pain. Um, Venus, Serena Williams almost died giving birth because they wouldn't believe her that I'm in pain. You need to do something. And they're like, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. And she almost lost her life because people weren't listening to her. Um, so I think that's where it comes from. It's the system that's been built. That's not for us. And we're having to fight for a piece of the table when we built the table. Yeah, I feel like there's this ridiculous idea that the system was created to like serve all people and help all people. But at the end of the day, there was a huge subsection of people who weren't included in that. Yeah. So and that still reigns true today. That's where a lot of the preconceived notions of police that 
Like we are programmed as Americans to fear people who don't look like us and the majority of people are white. There's been a long, long history of fearing people of color and it's just ingrained in us. And I feel like as Americans, we need to kind of step back and acknowledge that and realize that America wasn't made for everybody. Like it was made for some people and the, in order to have any type of change, changing just needs to start at the top and work its way down because right now we're just sick I mean, of getting killed by police. I mean, look at the constitution when it was drafted, black folks were like one fourth of a person. We didn't count as a whole person. I think it goes into that. I think it goes into, if you really want to be upset, look into the Tuskegee experiments where they let like a population of African-Americans suffer with syphilis because they wanted to see yep. what happened. I um, learned about that last semester. Sorry, there continue. is um, the, the doctor of modern gynecology used to practice on slaves in order with no anesthesia, would do all these procedures, cut these women open because he was trying to better serve white women. So it's like this entire system isn't for us. And I don't think that we're asking for too much. We're not asking for more. We're just asking for a level of respect from the people who should be protecting us. I think another thing that you brought up was like the education. And you're talking about parts of cities being built for black people right uh you know it's like projects right that so you red go lining? Into a- no that's not red lining oh i would love to talk to you about the red line yeah sorry <laughs> to interrupt you jonathan no that's okay uh we'll get to that amanda don't okay. worry uh talking about like you know like a project right so you go into said projects right and someone who grows up there they see especially if you're in a city like new york chicago very metropolitan they're you know part of la like three major cities there where if you go into these lower income areas these poverty stricken areas how are you supposed to make money how are you supposed to provide for your family because for and correct me if i'm wrong because i'm gonna say what i'm assuming here what i've seen uh as far as you know what i think i've seen is that for generations there have been places for black people to live and now they're generational poverty and there is there is the divide that we've we've spoke about that we've made you know evident here and now those places have decayed over time right and the city is not going to rebuild them like they're going to rebuild the red line they're going to let them just die off right they're going to let it decay until they knock it down and then they'll start over and then when they start over it's going to be nice and gentrified and for somebody else right do you know the history of iupui i don't specifically know that entire neighborhood where the university is was a low-income people of color people who were living in shacks and shanties. And then the university came in and um, bought all the property from the landlords and then jacked the rent up, making people have to move because they couldn't afford it. And then they just bulldozed over their houses and put up the campus, um, a campus that wasn't for black people. And then, you know, they pretty much piece by piece, like- They're doing that. They're doing that now across the river. So there is actually a property across the river that is meant just to hold dirt and it's next to someone's house and there's no fence. And so this person who has lived there 
sees this big dirt mound because they are trying to gentrify that area. They're they're building. They have buildings going on over there. I, that, I, that is evident. Now you say that it makes sense because just across the river is low income housing still. Yeah. I want to I, I finish this point because I think it's going to drive home what you ladies were saying. So the, these, these places, they, they decay over time. And so now the, the people who live there and they've continued to live there, they stop, they stop going to school because what point is school if I'm going to be here forever? And what point is an education? Because I have to live out on the street and the street is my education, not a book. I need to learn how to stay alive, not how to do two plus two, right? It's one of those things where the street takes priority because that's where their life is. That's what they see. That's what their world is. And that is, I think that's a big, a big reason that, you know, I can't think exactly where I was going with this now that we, we talked about IUPUI, but it, it, it has to do with the poverty and the poverty breeds desperation and desperation breeds sometimes good things, but more or less bad things, right? It breeds, it breeds, it could breed more poverty. It could breed. Disables uh, the population. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, crime, all this thing, you know, and then, and then people who are in this mindset, they have children right? Because they're not educated on how to not have children, right? So they just start having sex at a super young age. They start having kids at a super young age. And now we have an escalation of generational, generational, and maybe living in the same home in the same neighborhood forever. And they, 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 they stay there. And that is, oh, well, I kind of lost my train of thought there. So if I could jump in on that uh, generational poverty thing, I want to uh, talk to the listener or the maybe the viewer. If you're not totally sold, if you're not really buying into this whole systematic poverty thing, and you're like, well, like they can't blame their grandparents. You know, they have to take ownership of them, the, of their own selves today. I do want to encourage the listeners to to look into uh, the war on drugs and how it affected. Oof. The black community? No, seriously. Because no, this, no, is, <laughs> this is one this is one thing that when I came across this data, it was very disturbing because if there's evidence, if there's a clear evidence of systematic racism, it is in the war on drugs and what it did to the black community. I mean, we're talking about the uh the the crack the crack uh, uh epidemic. Uh we, we can even talk about just the uh, cannabis back in the sixties and seventies when we started the war on drugs. Uh, the data that I've seen is the uh, when they would report their uh, how often they came across civilians with you know cannabis. Uh, the report shows a proportion of what the population was. You know, 60, 70 percent of people caught with cannabis were white. About 10 to 20 percent were black. That looked normal. What was disturbing is in that same data, you look at the arrests or the uh, of what they would charge them with. And all of a sudden it flipped when they would actually charge people for cannabis and actually give them prison time. The black population was eight times more the incarceration rate than whites. And it was a clear case of, of, of racism. And, and if you even look at the bigger picture of the war on drugs and how it exponentially increased the population in prisons, and then you look at the bigger picture on, you know, when the ghettos started to form and when black fathers were very, uh, they weren't in the, 
the, the black families anymore. That was because most of them were incarcerated from the war on drugs. We talk about generational poverty, but what we're looking at today, if you guys do your own research and look into it, and I highly encourage that you do that, like it, you start to see this timeline of events and you're like, and then the systematic racism that these ladies brought up at the beginning starts to fall into place. I would There's a highly recommend ahead, the new Jim Crow that novel. It talks about mass incarceration across, you know, color lines and what that looks like. Um, I think that now it's become a public health issue because it's starting to to be in more white communities, you know, with opiates. Yes. Yeah. I feel like no one cared about the society's drug problem until it started impacting white people. White people. And, and that's heroin, opiates, all of those things. When we were in the 80s and everybody was in prison for crack and addicted to crack, no one cared because it was destroying black communities. So- I read I read I read somewhere that they were it was mandated in New York during the 90s when the crack epidemic really hit there that crack was a 15 year sentence because it was a black drug cocaine which if you know anything about drugs it's, it's the same drug. thing yeah. it's a white drug and so that's maybe five with a slap on the wrist if if you're black and you're caught with it they're going to even try to push it even further right so when you said the war on drugs, that's the first thing that I thought of was that they've literally designed it to be harder on people of color because for whatever reason they are, it's now that I'm talking about, it's, it's obviously programmed. It's obviously programmed to be that way. It's meant to be that way. And that's what we need. That's what we need to fix. That's what we need to bring light to. Is that for anybody who doesn't see this, if, if you do your own research, you literally, there's step-by-step like pieces that say like, th- there's this, and that you could tell how this was meant to, to be against black people. There's this, this is how it was meant to be. This is how we're, this is how we'll suppress them. This is how we will oppress them. This is how we will do this. We'll, we'll keep the fathers locked up, which will keep the families broken, impoverished and desperate. And then that cycle will continually just, t- just you know, it just creates, once again, that generational poverty. The most disturbing part is if you read the 13th Amendment that abolished slavery, there's a very uh, fine print note in the 13th Amendment that indentured, unless, unless indentured you, servitude. Yeah. Unless you're in prison, then you yep. can if be you're in prison, you can be a slave. Yep. Yep. Ladies, what was your your next topic? Sorry, we can get sidetracked. Um, I don't even know. We've been jumping all over the place. We, let's talk about the red line here in India. Yes, let's talk oh, about redlining. God. So the red line, I don't know all of the like specifics. I just know from my like social work perspective, like the red line. So there's different pockets in Indianapolis. Um, the main ones like Broad Ripple, Fountain Square, Irvington, downtown. Um, and I feel like they put in the red line and made it seem like it was going to be this great, um, you know, community transportation for people who live in these neighborhoods to fast track their way into downtown so they can get to work. Um, when in reality, when they like launched the the whole thing, um, it's, it's more so, so that people with, oh, hi, Griff, um, <laughs> people with, you know, 
how can I word this right? It, it wasn't made for low income people. It wasn't made for the people whose neighborhoods that it's really running through. It's so that people, college kids, people with, and you know, a little bit of money can fast track which bar they want to get to back and forth. You know what I mean? Like it's a straight shot from Broderpool to downtown and all of these things, but it wasn't made for the communities that it was supposed to be serving. Um, it doesn't go to the far, the far, it doesn't go to the near east side. It doesn't go to the west side at all. And it just goes from. The thing about you know, our public transportation in Indianapolis is I live west um, and I actually used to have to take the bus every time I wanted to get to campus, every time I wanted to do anything. Um, and, you know, they, they stopped running the bus out east. So it's like the, the east side of Indianapolis, I would vote has a higher lower income um the east side kind of maybe or maybe not has more crime i don't know for sure um but there are a lot of people over there in those near east side neighborhoods who need to get back and forth to get to work and they're less likely to have a car they're more likely to have weird working hours whether it be like serving or Factory factories yep. and they, they shut off some of the east side like transportation system so it's like you're cutting off all of these people from getting across the city and getting downtown like in Indianapolis specifically our public transit does not serve the people it serves the people who probably have cars and can get where they want to go anyway yeah um and the red line I feel like is just this ploy um with you know our tax dollars to pay for a service that the people who are primarily utilizing it could have you could have figured it out. You could have taken an Uber. <laughs> you could have got an Uber or drove. It's it's actually uh, there's there's a lot of uh, small businesses in in Broad Ripple area that are against it because for anyone who drives in the Broad Ripple area, you know that uh, they you it, it it creates a one way in a lot of places, right? It, you were to get into this local restaurant, this bar, um, you normally if you came off the street you could just take a left and go there but now because of the red line and those medians you need to go up the street around and over and so people have said we're not doing that we're going to drive right over the median so they're driving over the median and as a result of that they damage them and now they have to replace them yeah i'm sorry i think if if we're talking about the broad ripple area we also need to talk about the racism within the bar systems because it's like let yes please it's it's crazy to me because kilroy's which is a a big restaurant you know downtown indianapolis and in broad ripple are blatantly racist and they try to play it off like they're not they just and this is all stemming from there was a huge thing on facebook recently where Kilroy's um, announced that they were going to be reopening. They were in the next phase of reopening. Like, come and join us. Yes. And someone, you know, commented, well, are you going to serve Negroes this go round? Yeah. Um, And it's, I've personally experienced a lot of ish at Kilroy's um, in general, just and witnessed it in the sense that, like, you see a white frat guy walking in with his jersey and his hat and his sneakers um and he's fine and then the next guy is a black guy with sneakers and a A jersey or a white t-shirt or a white t-shirt and they can't get into the bar things like that i've had to pay up front at kilroy's 
when my white counterparts around me did not just like blatant stuff like that. And instead of addressing the issue with racism that people brought right to their front door on social media, they deleted their account. And I just feel like there are so many things like microaggressions and all of these things that people don't want to address. And that's just an example in, in our community right now. And people don't want to talk about it because it's uncomfortable. Like nobody wants to talk about race or people want to be colorblind, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, and at the end of the day, like it is a privilege that you have to be able to be like, well, I don't want to talk about this right now. Yeah. Because for us, it's, okay, I want to go to the bar, but which bar am I going to go to? Because I actually want to be able to order drinks at the bar. Or, you know, where am I going to be able to go where I can get in, where my partner, my fiance, and his friends can also get in um, and not have to pay more than the next person. So or I, not be turned away because they're not wearing something that's appropriate because it's associated with gangs and, you know, not being safe. Like, I've seen that at Brothers, too that, you know, like, hey, sorry, dude, you can't come in with, you know, a white t-shirt and a chain. But yeah. then, you know, a white dude comes up with his collar pop, same chain, you know, and it's okay for him to get in. I think they very much cater to people who are white. And it's like, if we create spaces for ourselves, let's say like CASPA, like it's still like, almost catered to the white crowd like what can we play sure we'll play you know your type of music but I'm about to play the, the top 100 hits too to make you know these people feel comfortable too like I've seen people leave bars because they're not comfortable that they're the minority yeah and I feel like it 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 all comes back to the fact that as Americans, this culture of like fearing, everybody everybody loves black culture, rap music and braids and their hair and all of these things until it's time to be black. Yeah. Like everybody loves everything about this rapper and their music videos and a twerk video until, you know, some guy's getting his neck stood on and saying he can't breathe and then dying on film. Then it's like, I don't want to mess with that. It's very frustrating to see features that are considered ugly or considered less than desirable on black people but then you know our white counterparts are doing the same thing and that's it's the new trend like kim kardashian box braids like she didn't create that shit excuse me she didn't create that you know and it's like oh now everybody wants to have a big butt but if you look up information on sarah barth who was kidnapped from africa and put on display in europe because of the size of her ass so it's like, there's this history and it's like frustrating to have to watch it and frustrated, frustrating to have to continue to act like it's okay. It's frustrating. Like it's new. Like it's, yeah, like, it's saying, like it's new. To still be like denying that racism exists. Like it's so frustrating or like people wanting to like play devil's advocate with it. And it's like, our perspective and our experiences valid and at the end of the day it's not about black on black crime it's not about you know this well they should know better do better or they're inciting riots so they don't care about their community at the end of the day it's a, it's police are killing us and they're not being you know held accountable for it because there's just this system that was made to oppress us and they're not being held accountable because people don't think it's wrong. Yeah. And the voices I, of people who do think it's wrong aren't being heard. I, I, 
I, I'm sticking with what I said earlier. I don't think it matters who you are. I don't think it matters if you've if you're a felon or if you're someone who's never had an altercation with the police. They should not have to fear for themselves as a result. You know what I mean? Like the police should not enter an altercation or should not enter into a an, an incident where they already have a preconceived notion that this is an aggressive incident, that this person is going to be aggressive. This person is going to cause me a problem. And so I think that I can't remember who was talking about it, but where, you know, the police are almost, I think it was you, Michael, where the police are programmed to be scared of black people and that they, they don't admit know that they don't understand where that fear comes from. Yes. It's just there. And, and, and so because that fear is there, you're at a heightened sense and that, that heightened sense makes you make bad decisions. And this also stems from a lack of training and a lack of psychological testing to see if that person can handle a situation. In the military, if you go into an infantry position or position of combat, there are months of training. There is months of training. To be a Navy SEAL, to be a pararescue, I know those two the, uh, take over two years to be in. And there is countless training. The, the instructors for those are putting you in a constantly high stress situation over and over and over again so that you're in, in a sense used to it so that you can still operate. And that's not to say that that's the most appropriate type of training for police officers, but it's obvious that there is a divide between the intelligence level where all of a sudden you're going into an, an, an incident, especially in 2020 when there has been so many black people murdered because of a lack of intelligence in a high stress situation. Yeah. When is the police force or the, you know, whoever has to step in going to say that obviously that divide, I, I personally believe that it comes from a lack of training and a lack of awareness right. and a lack of intelligence in those situations for sure. I guess my question to that is, is when you see white people protesting, wanting the government to open back up so they can get a haircut, but they're out there with their AK-47, yes. like strapped to the T, yelling in people's faces, in police officers' faces, and the police officers are just standing there yes. in face in face-to-face with an actual threat because he could pull it up real quick and pop you. But if I'm standing in the street peacefully protesting the death of an unarmed black man, I'm a threat let's sure. dispense the tear gas, let's Riot shoot police. rubber bullets. Like, I don't think it's fair to try to police how people react to injustice because. Yes. No, I guess, I guess what I, I'm meaning to say Topaz is that the, they, they shouldn't be, the, the injustice shouldn't be reacted upon. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with what you're saying there. And kind of what Mike's saying, there is that unknown fear of the black person that is creating that so that that's where the white we're person not can saying s- that's correct or that's that's moral for that to be there we're just saying that it's there it's and there what, what are you all gonna do to change it because i feel like at the end of the day white people need to change their perception and you know Absolutely. this is country too so there, for me personally i mean i can change you know my own psychology of when i'm walking at sunset down the road and I see three black guys walking at me on the street and all of a sudden I feel a little tense. I can check myself and be like, wait, why do I feel tense? If there are three white guys, what I still feel is tense. So, I mean, for me personally, in my own, like my own mind, I could, I can do, but I'm not, I'm not a police officer. I mean, as yeah. a society, 
I don't know what we can do as a society. I mean, obviously we need to change and I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't change it. Like I I'm all for you guys that we need to change the system. We need to, I, I agree with Jonathan. We need to improve training. We need to figure out how, first of all, and I'm, I'm pretty sure there are professionals out there that understand where this psychology is coming from. And I think there are, you know, the professionals that are actually addressing this. And I think that we just need to continue to have this conversation because I think white people get really defensive and white people yeah. get really defensive with racism because they take it so personal. They're like, well, you're calling me a bad person. Well, that's not necessarily the case. I think what you ladies are just trying to say is that these pre-programs, this, you mentioned micro, uh, microaggressions, which yeah. is like a, a pre-prejudice that's like a very small prejudice that that is in your subconscious that you have no idea that you've been doing. And I think that's those microaggressions are happening with police officers. We just need to yeah. educate them on the fact that what's actually happening in their mind. Cause they're like, well, I'm not doing that, but they actually are. They just don't realize they're doing it. F- figure out why. Go ahead, Topaz. I was going to say, figure out why you are subconsciously afraid of a black man. That that's what needs to happen is why I think that's the divide there. So you're talking about a white protester with an AK in the cop's face. That yeah. cop's not as scared of him because he's white. We have video but side the, by side but video the, comparing that. Like there, there's videos. The, that, go ahead. The woman who is black can't be is getting tear gassed for for peacefully just standing there, right? Maybe not even saying anything, and it's because for whatever reason. The police officer is scared of her and it's because she's black. Obviously, you know, that's, that's what we're getting at here is that there's a preconceived notion by the law enforcement agency against people of color. And that's what we need to figure out because I think that through, if you get it at the root of the issue, like if you figure out why that's happening, or maybe you just weed out the people that are like that, that's kind of what I'm getting at is figure out a way to weed those kind of people out, put them in those situations where it's going to become evident. When shit gets real, people get real. Is that, you know what I mean? Like you will figure out who someone is when you put them in a high stress situation. Every single person has a fight or a flight instinct. And when you have that fight overly, that overly aggressive fight instinct, those aren't the people you want protecting the streets, but you also don't want that overly aggressive flight. You want that, you want to find that good middle ground where you can watch a woman peacefully protest of color and you don't feel the need to throw tear gas at her. You don't feel the need to put your knee on a black man's neck. You don't feel the need to get six officers to you know stand on this guy because he's so big and you're scared of him as a result you know that's i may not be saying it the correct way but that's kind of what i'm trying to get is if we get it at the root maybe that will help and as far as getting to the root of that is listening to people of color and their experiences and don't downplay the reality of our existence. Yes, like you don't get to decide what's racist and what's not. It's not up to you to make that call because it's not your experience. That's just an easy ticket for people to kind of exit out of a conversation. Yeah, and I would say show up. Like if if you consider yourself an ally, in, in all reality, both of your voices weigh more than us, right? Because you can sit here, we can have the same exact emotion as you, 
but we're going to come off as the angry black woman because we're speaking up for ourselves and we're talking about injustices. Whereas if you two say it, more people will be likely to listen. Um, I think educate yourself. Like there's so much scholarly knowledge out there on the internet that you can look into. And Google. There's, Google. There's documentaries. Books. If, if you want to be upset, watch Let the Fire Burn. It's about the move movement in Philadelphia where the police chief dropped a firebomb and pretty much burned up two whole city blocks just because of this non-violent group of Black people who got tired of dealing with the police in Philadelphia. They killed everybody in this house except for like a child and an adult because they were tired of dealing with them. And he pretty much said to let the fire burn and burn two posty blocks to prove the point. So it's, it's situations like that, like show up, be in the front line, right? Because if, if I can protest and you can stand in front of me, you are protecting me because they see you first and they're not going to shoot you before they shoot me. Yeah. You see that, you see that Denzel uh, incident on the internet? Yeah. That's exactly it. He's got such a high profile that he can stand. And, and that guy was homeless. You know what I mean? Or as far as I know, I don't know specifics, but stood there. So, and that situation was getting tense. That situation was escalating. And then Denzel showed up. I don't know what happened. I just saw the pictures. But you see, obviously, the man he was protecting de-escalating. And then for whatever reason, you know, because another black man showed up, the cops were de-escalating as well. Uh, you know, obviously, his fame, it's Denzel Washington. But you're right. And it, that just came to mind. It show up, be there, step in between, make it's yourself. More, it's so much more than sharing, like, a meme or resharing a tweet about, like, oh, say his name. Like, you know, Black people, we see you. But, like, what are you doing? Because anybody can get behind a keyboard and, like, share stuff on social media. But are you showing up to protest? Are you are reaching you out there? to your friends of color to see you, if they're okay? Do you think this George Floyd situation is going to be a big change, a big breakthrough for the movement? No. No. I mean, we've had how many, just this year, how many people have been killed by police and what is done about it? Nothing. Like, nothing yeah. is done about it. And all that's being highlighted is oh, there's there's people rioting. Like, yeah. how, how wild is it that they're just... The, re the reason I ask is because in my own, you know, Facebook circles, I've seen people who normally don't talk about the topic of race actually step forward and actually write long posts about, guys, we actually need to do something. And so the reason I ask is because I wonder, and I hope that this George Floyd situation will be a little bit different um, because the shocking videos that are rise that are coming up like there is no other like i kind of mentioned this at the beginning there is no other side to this uh like he was murdered he was just yeah. flat out murdered and I, I think everybody's seeing that now again i think the other side's trying to blame the riots or like oh they're looting so therefore they have no point but i think people are going to see through that and i think a lot of people understand that there's a lot of frustration and once they start to, you know, go underneath the surface and see where all this frustration comes from, which is the systematic racism, I think people, hopefully, uh, we can we can enter this conversation of actually getting some real change, getting some transparency for the police force, getting some accountability for the police force, because I think that's the biggest first few steps we need to take. Uh, obviously, this... We also need to think about like what these riots are, you know, because 
there have already been plenty of George Floyds. Like, um, you know, we've we've seen plenty of black men murdered on, you know, on film in the last couple of years. And it's so traumatic to watch. It's absolutely awful. But these riots or protests or whatever, it's there's a lot of anger and it's pain. People are hurting and they're not being heard. And I just feel like at this point, as the white majority, how can people sit there and be like, what's the point? Why, why are they doing this? Instead of sympathizing with, there is so much going on in the black community right now. And the people who are supposed to be protecting us aren't. Trump made that tweet today about, we may as well just shoot the looter. And it's like, how, how can you say that you, you're you're going to shoot these looters, but you didn't shoot people that showed up with AKs? Like He said, when you start looting, we start shooting. And that was from yes, our president. Yeah, that was very disturbing. Awful. I, I think we need to also, like, give all the information as to, like, why the looting started, right? It started at that Target. And it was because they weren't selling the protesters milk for the tear gas because they were supporting the police department. Um, really i read somewhere that they support that police department they have cameras up they're monitoring people so it's like i feel like as the majority you don't get to tell people how to react like if if we kneel it's an issue like colin kaepernick he kneeled and people had an issue yeah Um, it's like how how can you have such an issue with a football player kneeling during the anthem but this is the third black man i've saw get his neck kneeled on and die on camera and you're more concerned about property than the loss of a life yeah unjust loss of a life like i had i had no idea about that milk that makes sense though that happened in indianapolis too so two i think it was two weeks ago i don't know if you saw my facebook post i went downtown to photograph the protest um, the recent protests about, you know, the three lives in, in eight hours. Um, and it, it was a peaceful protest, I will admit. People were getting very passionate. There were a lot of speakers. Um, and it, it was, it was a, you know, it got, there was pushback from the police. The police weren't handling it well, yelling at protesters um, and everything. I actually left before any of the violence started. Um, but they started tear gassing and, you know, what is it? The riot police with the bean bags. And there were stores that weren't selling milk. They were asking people on Facebook to bring milk, you know, because the police were just letting loose with all of this tear gas on 62nd and Michigan and downtown because there were two separate um, events going on. And it's just like that. I don't know. There was I a- did, I- Go ahead, Mike. There were some protests a few weeks ago, and I know you guys mentioned this briefly earlier in Lansing, Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, where you know a bunch of uh, a bunch of protesters with like with AR-15s and and assault rifles actually charged the uh, Capitol in Lansing, Michigan, because they were protesting the, the lockdown and the quarantine, mm-hmm. and they actually got inside the Capitol building. And I don't know if you guys saw the video; they were actually like yelling at the top of their lungs, like chanting. Like it wasn't a peaceful protest. It was it was clearly intimidation. They all have rifles. They all have like, you know, guns loaded up. The cops are just standing there amongst the crowd. And it was chaos. And I was I was really annoyed because I'm originally from Michigan, not from Lansing, but like West Michigan. 
And so I was really annoyed with my, you know, my, my birth state. Like, why are they putting up with, you know, why are they allowing these protesters to enter? Like, clearly they're being disruptive. Nobody got hurt, but the police were just allowing them to. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, you can't just force your way in to a Capitol building. And I, and I can't help but be honest, the, I can't help you... but admit to see the hypocrisy. Like, if they were people of color they're black people they wouldn't allow them to do that like no. so there's a clear like double standard it's they're doing obvious. the same thing in denver there's rioting going on in denver as well like people at the state house in denver as well it's i or heard i heard about the same reason no well they're they're rioting what happened as as far as in the george floyd situation okay. where they're just they're not having it anymore so they went to the state house i don't know too many of the details about it uh my counterpart told me about it and she just told me that we or that there was serious situations going on there and do they have do they have guns like the lansing protesters do they have they i don't think they had guns and they weren't i don't think they were trying to like force themselves like into the 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 state building like they were in michigan when i when i saw when when i saw that that they they were forcing themselves with assault rifles in in michigan that that is unreal that's crazy it's just crazy to me that you know white people can get away with that like we would end up dead like you it's crazy because you know the 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 riots that take place when a sports team wins or loses that part they tip over buses one lady was shot in boston shot and killed in 2014 in boston after a riot and it's like Nobody says anything about the riots when it's because a sports team loses or wins, but you know, we're out here rioting because we're being murdered and it's the end all be all and it's a justification for that. Yeah. And like, it doesn't make sense. I, I almost like after, oops, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're fine. Um I I think that people I mean I can't speak for all people, but I wonder if there's a psychological thing that people say that because of the cognitive dissonance of just wanting to feel better. Like they know that African-Americans have it rough. And so they want to justify and make themselves feel better. So they're like, oh, well, they're rioting. So they lose the argument. And then now I feel better rather than just embracing the bigger issue. Like uh, goes back to if you're more worried, if you're if you're commenting about the riots and not the murder, then we see you. It's kind of, yeah, I feel like, exactly. I feel like that is, we're saying a lot, but it really can be summed up with that. Like if, if you're concerned with the riots, if you're concerned about target a corporation where that's all insured, that will all be paid for. The company won't see the hits. And if they do, that's one store. They have thousands more. Who cares? And that and- man who was murdered, there's not a thousand more of him. But there has been many of him previously. There has been many of that situation previously. So get your get your priorities in check. And let me state the obvious, just for you know legal reasons. The four of us on this podcast do not condone violence. Obviously, peaceful protest is the way to go about it. What we are trying to say is the violence that's happening in Minneapolis, we need to try to understand it is obviously wrong but we need to understand what is causing the high tension that we need to understand this is a very sensitive um 
time right now because of these these riots that are happening and we need to try to come up with a solution so that these riots don't continue and we can get some you know uh, public something uh, that also needs to be considered is how traumatizing it is to be black in america let's go there because you know, historically, we're, we're, our lives don't matter. Like, we're asking too much. We need to stay in our place because we don't want to get too uppity. Um, and this, this is 400 years of anger of not being heard. This is 400 years of slavery, segregation, you know, police brutality that is finally being seen, right? It's being broadcasted. You can open your phone and see people protesting and and fighting but if you don't know the history then it just looks like we're out here destroying property because we're angry and that's not it there is like pain behind that behavior and it's secondary to exhaustion yeah like we're sick and tired of it it's exhausting i'm still expected to go to work and handle Pretend like it's not happening pretend like i feel like like you aren't getting killed there was a really good video that went around for a while and it was like calling off black. Do you remember that? Yeah. And it it's so relatable. It, so, it sounds wild, but like I woke up the other morning and the first thing I saw when I got on Facebook was the video of George Floyd. It was the first thing that I saw. And of course there was no trigger warning or anything. I just click on it and you can't look away. So right. it's like, I got to watch, what is it? Eight minutes of like a man who looks like, family friends loved ones i had to watch him be my uncle i had to watch him being murdered like before i I had breakfast and i feel like then you have to go about your work day just thinking about what if that happened to someone i know i wonder how that family's feeling and click on the comments and it's like well what do you do like uh, all these terrible comments like condoning behavior just because it was a police officer who did it and it's like it's all the time and then it it's almost just, it'll happen and you're way up here and it's like, okay, this happened. What are we going to do? When's it going to happen again? And then nothing will happen for a week. And then the next week, it's the same thing. And it's like this cycle of like anger and sadness yes. and depression. Like, And I feel like people don't, the one component of white privilege is that you can disengage and you can turn it off because in reality, it, it doesn't apply to you. It's people that look like you aren't being killed and it being almost like glorified and shared all over the internet. Well, people think it's appropriate, like, oh, just kill all the monkeys, like saying comments like that. Terrible stuff. And on, it's awful. It's like, okay, I'm at work and I see this video of, what was the young black man who was killed here that was Sean. Yes. And I see that and like And these are police officers that down. we have to deal with all the time. This was this wasn't some other state. This was right here in our city, the IMPD, who was supposed to be looking out for us. And you hear the officer, well, gonna be a closed casket, homie, and all those gunshots. And it was it was a live thing. So it's like with his video, I got a ding on Facebook of like, um, so-and-so is, is live. Like, I don't even know how it happened, but I clicked on it. It was like this alert that I got. And it was literally the live feed of this young man being like, Oh, come and get me, you know, joking around with the camera and then 16 gunshots. I mean, like that's, 
traumatizing. Like I, I, I had to take the rest of the day off because I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And I don't know about. And it's you, down the road. It's, I've, it's, I've had interactions with police before and I don't want to get too, you know, into my own personal experience, but I have had terrible interactions with police and I don't trust the police. I, I don't, I haven't for a long time. Um, and I just feel that people who are like racism doesn't exist or, you know, what have you, um, Jonathan and I grew up in the same small white town and I spent like 10 years of my life just being bullied and, um, accused of things by police being, literally charged and convicted of crimes before I was 18 because of the the system that is going on there. And I feel like even in adulthood, when I came to Indianapolis, I had negative interactions with police. And one thing that has worked to my benefit um, is that I am educated and I check myself in my own privilege and the fact that, you know, I'm not impoverished and I am educated and you know, I'm actually half white, which is a huge privilege that I've, you know, just had to accept that I have and things still happen to me. So imagine someone who might not have the professionalism and poise that I have to deescalate a situation or have the resources that I have. Or know their rights. Yes, I know my rights. I know that if I needed a lawyer, I could get one. I know if I needed bailed out. I know that if I had a negative interaction with police, there's probably some way for me to get across that I'm not the one I'm not, I don't have a huge rap sheet um, and things like that. So I have that advantage. And I feel like one thing that I've taken into consideration from a place of privilege is that other people don't get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Like, it's like, Oh, this is some thug, you know, who was driving recklessly and was carrying a gun and, you know, he ended up dead, but he had a rap sheet so they try to justify the murder after the calls like yeah Ferguson- the cop doesn't know that he has the rap sheet and that's i i, I don't mean to interrupt right. you but that's the problem right is like you're going exactly. in that preconceived how is he supposed to know so how how can you justify those actions when they weren't relevant when that's not you know like i'm not and if he assumes it that's even worse if he assumes it like Facebook comments are always like, well, he had a criminal record. It's well, after the fact. Yeah, what yeah exactly. He, I looked him up in my case and he had, you know, a, a criminal record or he, he got kicked out of the military. So he must've been a bad egg. Like, and it, like my thing about that is like, that doesn't justify him losing his life. Like he mm-hmm. deserves his due process. Exactly. Else. I think that people get it twisted because they think that, you know, we want to free all these people who are doing crimes and like, no, like if you a murderer, rapist, all that stuff, arrest them, but arrest them. Like the traffic stop should not end in death at it, all. You know, having a busted taillight is not a death sentence. Blowing through a stop sign is not a death sentence. Speeding is not a death sentence. Yeah. So you know, selling cigarettes it's outside not. of a convenience store, having a toy gun at the park you know, when you're 12 years old is not a death sentence. You know, a disabled man. Did you see that man? He was a social worker, which hits home because we're both social workers. And that man was working, it was with an autistic client or something who was having some sort of, um, you know, outburst. Was it down in Florida? I think. Yes. And they shot and killed him, even though he was obeying, they shot and killed the caregiver, the social worker who was on the ground, hands up. And, 
it's just like for what and something else to that makes me think is that in a previous social work job my job was to go out and go to these homes to ensure safety and I was taught that I couldn't go into certain parts of Indianapolis because it's still a sundown town Martinsville Indiana like certain sides of Indianapolis I had to go knock on somebody's door and there's a giant Trump confederate flag on somebody's wall and I knock on the door and this giant white man opens the door like what are you doing on my front porch and it was the wrong house like he could have shot me for just doing my job because I was on his property and I had to call my supervisor and say I don't feel safe I'm dropping a pin and he was like okay stay on the phone with me until you're home like because he recognized the danger of being a young black person in the wrong part of town. So it's, it's more than it's I, a lot goes into it. I just feel like it's so easy for people to pretend it doesn't exist when it doesn't affect them. them. And that is white privilege. And I feel like once we start kind of breaking it down instead of like the white fragility and like this huge trigger to like, I feel like a lot of white people, there's this trigger of like, we can't talk about race. Like I'm not racist. And it's like, okay, we're all inherently racist, you know? And once we can break down white privilege and what it really is, not just what you think it is, I feel like that's when people are gonna get somewhere. Cause at the end of the day, white people have an advantage and you probably always will. So admitting it and not being as ignorant to the fact that it exists is the best way to go. This whole conversation for for me, everything we're talking about, I I feel like it really stems from not, I, I, I don't pretend to assume it just sounds like for whatever reason, police are afraid of, of black people and, as a result of that fear, they're making irrational decisions. And it's not just an, it's not an, it's obviously not an isolated incident, right? This is the, this is happening in like every state now, you know, it, it, and I'm sure it's happening more than it's being published. For example, the, 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 sh- the shooting in Florida or Georgia, where it happened in February and then it was, it didn't come out yeah. until April, you know, and it only came out because, it got on social media. So I'm sure if it hadn't gotten on social media and it hadn't gotten into the the wrong hands, you know, that they would have kept it quiet, right? That they would have just swept it under the rug. So I can only imagine how, I think I saw an article today on social media that had a police officer choking a black kid, like a teenager. And it said, this was overshadowed by the stuff that's going on in Minnesota. Right. So there's even things happening on a on a daily basis, on a constant basis that may not get the awareness because it wasn't caught on Facebook Live. Right. So there what you, you asked a question earlier and you, and you kind of asked, like, well, what can we do? Right. You have taught me a lot through this conversation, something that really, I, you know, I never really if I'm being honest and also being honest on here in front of everyone who listens, I guess part of my white privilege is not really thinking enough to look into why the riots are starting and what's behind that. And when you tell me that it's because they're not 
providing milk to the people who are affected by tear gas. I have been OC sprayed myself by from about six feet straight in the eyes in the military. Dang. It's a part of the training and it is awful. And you make irrational decisions when you're affected by that, right? And I'm not saying that any of these decisions are irrational, but what I'm saying is if you're not providing milk to a consumer, a consumer is a consumer, money's green, it doesn't matter. Why are you trying to back the police or not, right? You're trying to make money as a business. You're not, it, 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 I guess it's just alerted me to the fact that before you assume something, before you decide that oh that person has a rap sheet or oh they're rioting so everything else now doesn't matter because it's overshadowed by the fact that they can't control themselves you know like there are people who think like that there really are and to think and, and to take a step back from it and and to think okay why is this happening why did this riot start it it totally makes sense there's so much anger and pain behind the people they're not the people behind black people who have experienced this systematic oppression and racism throughout generations. Right. And, and you get any, and any, it doesn't matter of color. You get a bunch of people who are like-minded together and emotions start flaring. You're gonna like, it, it just starts to get riled up and everybody's feeding off each other. You think about going yeah. to a concert, a mosh pit and things that like mob that. mentality. Yeah. And, and, and then there's emotion and pain behind that. And now there's, you know, there's a hundred people who feel the same way at the same person. Right. And let's just say, you know, the, the target or something else. It, they are, they, they may not be thinking about what matters tomorrow, what matters later. Cause right now is all that matters, you know, like being in that moment, being overcome by those emotions. I've been victim. I don't know victim, maybe the right word, but I've that's happened to me where I've made choices. And that when I look back and I think about why I make those choices, that's what stops me from making the choice again. You know, that's what helps me understand where I'm coming from. And it's the same thing with, someone else is that before we assume that you're this or that because of this situation and the color of your skin instead let's figure out why you feel the way you do what can be done about that feeling and how can we help get you from not get you from but how can we help progress that the outcome if that does that make sense yeah you know? it does I think, yeah. I, think, I think i want to go back to like the part where you said that it needs there needs to be more training absolutely because i know that you talked about you know being in the military and what steps did you have to take before you could even you know take the safety off your weapon to engage people like like there's a clear set rules that you have to go through before you can even pull the trigger and there's mm -hmm. needs to be that we need to keep that same energy to be, to protect americans like there needs to be more done there needs to be more education done like off jump and i think education goes back to being in middle school and high school and you know learning about my history one month but learning about your history for the rest of the year like you open a textbook and it starts off with black people were slaves and then they were free but you never hear about our history before we were slaves when know? i w when when uh, so the school where amanda and i grew up I, I, 
I remember opening up the textbooks and when we learned about slavery, there's, there are very graphic depictions. For example, a black man with the collar around his neck that's got the spikes out so he can't get through a doorway or when they're strung up by their hands and feet hanging upside down so the blood rushes to their head and they get dizzy and they can't be caught. You, like as a middle schooler, I'm seeing pictures and it's just another reminder of how I'm programmed subconsciously to look down on that like i hope i'm not being offensive when i say that but that like that is what i feel like i'm being programmed for you know i don't i'm not seeing a white man in, in any type of situation that may make me think negatively of him but i'm seeing a black man as a slave and so obviously a slave is already the assumption less than right less than and now i'm seeing him being beaten up because he's back talking so now there's less than and not obedient or not smart enough to just do what they're told right and then you you continue you learn that as a child and you may not realize the, the the severity of what you're learning and then you continue that education or maybe that subconscious thought because like amanda and i say we grew up in a very small town i wasn't regularly around black people until i was in my early 20s right? Amanda was the first black person that I ever met at 12 years old. There is there. And so if I'm being honest, once again, part of the white privilege, I wasn't even comfortable around black people in the beginning because I had never been around them, right? It's something I was programmed to feel uncomfortable. And it was, you know, through constant interaction, constant, you know, just socializing, befriending them, realizing that, the only thing that's different about us, the color of our skin, because we both like the same things, you know, we're both in the same goals. We're both, you know, this or that we have a lot of the same commonalities, but if you never realize that you're common, then you always think you're different. Yeah. <laughs> Mind blown. Whoa. Did you have a Let moment there? Yeah. You really enjoyed that, didn't you? <laughs> I did. So I, did you have something to say, Mike? Um, I'm just listening. This like a uh, it's a lot, to, lot to listen and take in, man. Like, there's a lot of information here. I'm just kind of reflecting on what we've discussed, and I'm kind of really just kind of really uh, reflecting on one comment that you ladies made about like what 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 are people actually going to do when they hear this information? Like, if they truly try to understand, and maybe they do have an epiphany moment where, like, oh my gosh, I didn't know it was this bad. What are, what what can we actually do as individuals to actually help this cause or help to, you know, eradicate these problems from our society or you know become a better civilization? And I kind of keep coming back to the same. Um, obviously, this is a big issue. It's a, it's a very complex issue, but I'm thinking of probably the largest thing about systematic racism facing us today is what the episode is about, which is police brutality. Um, so let's let's focus on the largest issue, police brutality, which affects everybody. But to be honest, police brutality affects everybody, but it's going to affect the minority groups more than it's going to affect you know, the majority. Like that's only common sense. So for black people in America, I mean, you probably have to think about police brutality much more than white people, do, even though white people still have to deal with it. And so that is something that we can quickly fix or the largest problem to fix is police brutality. And I think we've kind of already had the points, proper training, um, uh, 
being transparent. We need more transparency from the police departments and we need to keep pushing for more transparency. I think we tried back in 2015, President Obama tried to get the the chess cams to become yeah. a federal thing. We need to keep pressing that because the the, the body cams make sense because it keeps accountability. And a, a lot of police officers don't want the the body cams, which I, I don't, I don't really understand if I was a police officer and I was, and if I was a good cop and a, and an honest police officer, but yeah, give me a body cam because it's going to protect myself as much as it's going to protect other people. And, and then the last, so, so we talked about uh, transparency and last one is accountability. Once we actually find the bad cops, what are we going to do about it? Like, are the good cops going to turn them in? Is the the system going to uh, press charges to the bad cop? Because we've seen a failure in accountability so many times, which you ladies have brought up about the previous cases. And luckily, hopefully, with this George Floyd situation, I just saw on the news before we met for this podcast, uh, for those listening, we're recording this on Friday is uh, the uh, the police officer with his knee on George Floyd's head. He is actually, he was taken into custody today. And they are actually pressing charges because they said they finally built the case. They got enough video evidence and they have a case to without a reason or beyond a reasonable doubt to press charges against this police officer, which is great news. So I think that that is great, but I also think that he needs to be charged within the full extent of the law. Yeah. I mean, you know, being charged. He needs to be convicted. Yeah, like being acquitted. Like, you know, I think a lot of times a lot of police officers in these situations are fired and then get to keep their pension. Um, You know, and I I was like, okay, you get to take a vacation after murdering somebody and not being charged. So whereas, you know, this is a small victory, I think it needs to be, broad across the nation that if you kill an unarmed person black white or otherwise you know in these situations you will be held accountable yes you will be charged within the full extent of the law and you will spend time in jail like i think that's the only way that there's going to be some type of change there needs to have something in place to ensure that these people are just not murdering people and then just getting off scot-free because it's Mm kind of what it is right now I uh, think that one great thing might be that we continue to like social media blast, right? Like it, you, I've seen it so much going back to what Mike was saying. Am I, I, uh, in my social media circle, I see a lot of people who otherwise don't really like acknowledge what's going on, right? They don't acknowledge any of this and now they are. And it's because like this, this, like, I I think that there have been so many examples of blatant like murder. Like I'm not going to sugarcoat it, right? I I think that you appreciate that. Like it's murder. Like that man killed that man, and there's been examples of it. But this this time this time there's like you hear like I don't really like the video really or like I'm sure you know talking about earlier. It's like it's very traumatic, like watching it, seeing it, and. The other ones that you've seen where you see like somebody being shot at point blank range, you see the other side of it coming out and it like that is traumatic, right? Moving along from that, you when we 
publicize the trial, when you publicize each step, you force accountability in a sense, right? Like the police force could obviously just say, it doesn't matter how much you blast us on social media, but what does matter is the perception of those police force, political agendas, things of that nature. Someone who may be running for an office may want this conviction, right? Now, obviously there, that's like manipulating the system, but a, that, that could be a good win. And you, we learn how to utilize these things that create wins. Is that, you know what I mean? Like yeah. publicizing the trial step-by-step. Step. So if you decide to not convict him after blatant evidence, then you will be blasted on social media. You, the, the commissioner will probably lose his job. The judge might, there may be repercussions to that. You know, it's just like, creating the accountability however that looks i i will not pretend to know how that looks but i can say what i've seen is working you know that it took it took day like a less than a week for that man to be brought yeah. in and now he is being charged like and he, obviously they, not convicted but they did mention that like even though four days may seem like a long time they said for for prosecuting a police officer this is like they've never seen it so, so like with such speed they said with four days to actually put this man, now they have him in custody. They said like before with, with uh, when they would do investigations in the police officers, it would take months. This was done in four days. And the only reason it was done in four days was because of the pressure from those pedestrians recording it on their iPhone and posting it to social media. So if we, we the people need to hold these police officers you know, accountable, and and again, if you record, if you record it, and it's annoying, yeah, people would be annoyed if you're recording them. But if you you could also record the in, innocence of that police officer, if they are truly innocent and they weren't doing anything wrong, then hey, then you're just backing them up. But I, I'm interested to see how we evolve as a society with everybody with basically a camcorder in their pocket, and with you know social media and, and Facebook Live, where we have the tools. And we have the technology to keep everyone accountable. So it's only just the process of doing it. We just have to change, you know, the population. We just have to change every the way people view this, that, that we need this accountability Excellent. for the police force. Ladies, do you have any, uh, do you have any extra thoughts to add to this? Anything specific you would like to say? Well, the last little thing we just wanted to talk about was ways that white people can be better allies. Yeah, and excellent. Kind excellent. Of like stemming off of what you said about recording and holding people accountable, like that is a way to be an ally. Like if you witness an injustice, why be silent about it? Take out your phone, record it, um, and have that that person's back. So we kind of made a little list of um what people can do to be better allies. Um, number one is keeping the conversation going. Like this shouldn't be a, you know, I'm going to share this tweet or I'm going to share this meme to my story because, you know, this was injustice and I'm mad. Like this is more about talking about race, even though it's uncomfortable, making sure that everybody knows about what is going on in the black communities and why it's not okay. Because like I said before, it's this, oh, another black person got killed we're over it. Oh, it happened again. Okay. You know, and it needs to be the topic of conversation ongoing. Like we need to talk about it until there's change. Um, 
The second thing that white people can do to be better allies is educate yourselves. Like, I love that we're here like talking and hopefully educating some people about what's going on. But at the end of the day, it's not black folks job to educate white people. Like that's what you have Google for. That's what you have books for. That's what you have like common sense watching these videos and seeing what's going on in your community. Like you can't ignore it anymore. Like it's right here in your face. So educate yourself about what's going on. I feel like you, Michael, had a lot of like the numbers. I forget what we were talking about earlier, but it's like, okay, you have like numbers proving that systematic injustices are happening. So how can we say- The war on drugs, yeah. Yeah, the war on drugs. And obviously that happened. And there's still people who are like, no, it didn't. Um, The third thing is- protesting, participate, and like signing petitions. Like there are a lot of petitions going around right now. I shared one the other day where if you fill it out, it automatically sends um, letters to like 200 different representatives across the country um, trying to keep that conversation going. What are we doing to protect people from police? What are we doing to protect the next George Floyd? Um, Because it's inevitable at this rate, it's gonna happen again. Um, participating is more, I mean, to me than sharing a status on Facebook, like white people need to be seen at at things where, you know, black people are protesting. We're trying to fight these injustices. One thing I'm really proud of is the protest I went to a couple weeks ago here in Indianapolis. There were a lot of white people there, like white people at the front lines, white people walking along the lines of police so that black people didn't have to be as close to them, white people standing around them, like stopping the police from getting into our conversations. Like that it was equal parts of folks that really showed up here in Indianapolis. So I respect that. Um, But physically being there is so much more important than being like a keyboard warrior. Yeah. And I think like being there for your friends of color, understanding that this is stressful and it's triggering and we may not be okay, but we may not tell you that we're not okay because, you know, it, I think it goes to avoiding your own discomfort. Like, if I come to you with these things, are you going to gaslight me? Like, are you going to say that these things aren't real when I'm experiencing them daily? Um, sit in your discomfort. I think that's something too, like, it's awkward. People don't want to talk about race. Like, we all pretend that we do, but a lot of people don't. Um, And I feel like that ties into our number four, which is not avoiding your discomfort, um, understanding your privilege and realizing that confronting racism is not about like your needs as a white person. It's not about your feelings or your perspective. It's, It's about us and the fact that there are things going on that people need to recognize. And at the end of the day, our lives are more important than your feelings. Um, And it's a privilege to be able, like I said before, to disengage and just pretend like it's not happening because for you, it's not, it's not affecting you. So it's easy to be like, I don't want to deal with that anymore. You know what I mean? And I think that comes back to when Jonathan asked me to do this and he was, I was like, I don't know, it's still a little rough for me. And that's real because having this conversation is exhausting. Like It's a conversation we've literally before we came to get on this podcast, there was some guy um on Topaz Facebook who was like oh so you're condoning like having if someone wanted to burn down your house because they were mad and it's like 
okay, that's that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about another man being killed by police. Yeah, so I just, I think, you know, oftentimes white people just need to listen. Yeah. And don't listen to respond. Listen to hear the experience of people who are around you. Yeah. Just because you have pleasant experiences with the police doesn't mean that, that it's like that across the board. Yeah, it's not like that for everyone. So, and that goes back to what I said before is that you don't get to pick like what's racist and what's not. It's not, it's not something that you get to decide. And, you know, you can't dominate the conversation of racism and black people problems. Like you don't have a seat at that table. Like it's our table and it's our conversation. So if you're going to come to it, don't try to be the loudest voice in the room or like, you know, everything because you, you have no idea. You have your perception and what you, you know, what you read about, but you haven't lived it. So I feel like more people just need to listen to black people when we're talking. Like if someone said they experienced this, don't tell me that I didn't. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's something I have to deal with all the time when I bring up like what I went through growing up in Rensselaer. It's like, well, did that really happen? By golly, yes, it did. Like people were very racist and in retrospect, just a lot of microaggressions. And I know that it's difficult as adults for people to accept that they were behaving that way because literally they didn't know any better, but that's the reality reality of it. Um, I think something else is don't be surprised when people of color clap back. mm -hmm. Like if you're blatantly racist, I'm going to call you out on it and I'm going to bring all the receipts and you know I hope you're uncomfortable because being murdered is uncomfortable being you know arrested and dying in police custody is uncomfortable being afraid of the police is uncomfortable so I mean you got to get out of this Base of privilege and understand that you have a privilege that a lot of people of color don't have. Yeah. Um, and stop expecting us to like comply with a system that what that permits murder and withholding justice and expecting us to just be quiet and not be angry about it and be vocal about it because the only way to address it at this point is with resistance. Like, you know, if you guys can resist, you know, a lockdown because you want to get your hair cut and go to the mall, but you're not getting killed. You know what I mean? It's just what a petty thing to be so upset about. But then it's the hypocrisy of, oh, well, now there's a riot. Yeah, we we have a lot going on here. That's it, really. That's that's a go ahead mike do you have anything i got nothing man <laughs> all right i uh i i that, that's a lot for me personally i don't know when you were talking there's just a lot going on in my head i feel like i'm gonna kind of bring things to an end here if everyone is okay with that uh and i want to do so because i don't want to try to dominate or add anything to that conversation out of kind of what you said there so i I think that I, I am so glad you ladies came on here today. Yeah. If, if, if for no one else here, even though we've been friends for so long, you've, you've uh, opened my eyes to things and I'm, and I'm sure Mike as well can say the same from different, from a different perspective. Just, I mean, just an example is the milk, you know, like I didn't, I didn't, I would have never thought about that, but it makes so much sense. 
And so I thank you ladies for coming on here and giving your perspective and your time and your emotion because this isn't something that is easy to talk about. And I know both of you are exhausted because it's something that I know you're experiencing all the time. For everyone listening, thank you very much. And for one person who may have never thought about this, uh, may not even know about it because you may be engulfed in whatever's going on and you may not pay attention to it. We hope that this brought a light to the darkness that you're living in and that you understand now that there are problems going on that have nothing to do with you, but you can help. You can be an ally. You can be a friend. We hope that you do so. We hope that everyone here enjoyed the episode and that, uh, that's it. That's it. I'm done. All right. See y'all guys next time. Bye.